Well, again, good morning. Uh, for the last several weeks, we have been in a series we are calling Following Jesus, Discovering the Extraordinary uh, Within the Ordinary. And, and what we've been doing is we've been following in the gospel the life of Jesus and his ministry, but we have been doing so from a unique perspective, which was the disciples. As the disciples followed Jesus, what was that like and one of the things we've been emphasizing in this series is the ordinariness of the disciples. They they were ordinary people of trying to follow Jesus and and these ordinary people when their lives intersected with Jesus' life, these ordinary people would go on to do extraordinary things. And of course, we're no different from them, are we? We tend to be tends to be ordinary people, don't we? At least most of us. We're ordinary. You know, we spend our time trying to raise our kids and get through school and uh, we'll do well at our job and maintain friendships. We are ordinary people. Yet, when our ordinary lives intersect with Jesus' extraordinary life, our lives become extraordinary in all of its ordinariness. And so in this series, we've been following along the disciples uh, and kind of seeing the, the ordinary disciples do extraordinary things. And we followed the disciples as they were called by Jesus to follow for the very first time. And we followed the disciples from their kind of cluelessness about who Jesus is to, to the times when they kind of get a glimpse and they finally maybe in a preliminary way begin to understand who Jesus actually is. And we, we followed the disciples as they witnessed the power of Jesus, as Jesus calmed the storm in the Sea of Galilee. And we followed the, Jesus, they were, we followed the disciples as they were sent out. And they, and they were sent out and they did extraordinary things as they witnessed to the kingdom being near with Jesus. And we followed the disciples as they witnessed the cross and they saw their hopes dashed as their Messiah would, would die. And even last week, we followed along with the disciples as we witnessed the miracle of the resurrection. Today is our last week of this series, and it's suitable that we visit the disciples one more time as they interact with Jesus. But this time, it's a little different. This is like the postscript of the story. A, a lot of us think that the Gospels kind of end with the resurrection, but that's not always true. This is the story of Peter as he encounters the risen Jesus and the conversation that they have. So the scripture reading this morning is John 21, uh, 15 through 19. And Alicia Cervantes will be reading for us this morning. Alicia, you can head on up when you're ready. Um, what we do here is we stand and we face the center of the room where the scriptures are read. And, and the reason we stand and we do that is because we believe that the Bible is the true story that's true for all of us. And it tells us about Jesus and what that means for us. So, Alicia, go ahead when you are ready. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, 
When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go back. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Thank you, Alicia. You may be seated. Let's take a moment, and when you're ready, turn to your neighbor and tell them the year it was the last time you went camping. Are you ready for this? It, it may be easy for some, harder for others. Ready, set, go. So the last year my family and I went camping was in 2014. It was a few years ago. And, and, and we wouldn't really call ourselves avid campers per se. Uh, we're really big fans of those God-given things called technology. We like toilets that flush. It's a really big deal. We love the microwave. It's great. And we love television. We do. Uh, we're not exactly camping people, but in 2014, we decided we were going to head on out and go camping. And so we packed everything up in our car. We headed off to the campsite. And when we arrived, I checked the weather just to make sure we're good to go. Now you know where this is going, don't you? I checked the weather and it said, it's great, sunny, good to go. So we slowly set up the tent. And if you know how this goes, family-sized tents take like three days to set up. I'm not sure why that is, but it takes... Maybe it's just me. It could be. But we get the tent set up, and, and by, by that I usually mean my wife set up the tent because I can't do it. But we get the tent set up, and then we get the chair set up around everything, and everything's good to go, and we're like, all right, we did this, and then we feel it drip, drip, drip. And it's like, well, it's just a sprinkle. We're going to be okay. And so I checked the weather, and it said, yeah, there's a chance of rain. And we look out, and these dark clouds are coming, and they are dark, like black clouds coming towards us. Well, that's not good. And so we waited out, and suddenly that drip, drip, drip becomes like a torrent of water flowing down on us. And we are absolutely soaked, and there's wind, and there's lightning, and there's thunder. It was kind of scary. And so we, we jumped into our tent, and the tent would save us, right? We all think that's going to happen. So we jump into the tents, we zip up the tent, and we sit there. And as we sit there, we begin to notice something. A river begins to form beneath our tent. Our tent has suddenly become a waterbed. Have you had this experience? I'm like, well, that's not good. And before long, the, the waterbed starts to leak. And suddenly, our tent is filled with water, and we are miserable. And my wife and I make eye contact, no words at all. And the eye contact said it all, and that said, we're getting out of here. So we quickly packed up left, and that was our great camping adventure. Maybe you've had one of those. But one of the things I love about camping is the campfire. I love the campfire. You know, there's, there's that moment where, where the sun kind of dips below the horizon and, and there's a chill in the air and everyone's kind of huddled up around the fire and you're eating hobo pies and candy and, and you're hanging up. But the thing that I love the most are the conversations. There's something about hanging around a campfire. I don't know if it's the smoke getting in your system. I don't know. But you have great conversations at a campfire. Some of the best conversations I've ever had have been around a campfire. And this morning, 
the story is about a campfire. It's about Jesus and Peter hanging around a campfire and they have a conversation. But, but let me provide kind of some wider context here. So, so shortly before our passage, we have, we have last Sunday, right? The tomb is empty. It's, it's good news. And, and then later on after that, Jesus would appear to many, many people. And, and often he'd do it in mysterious ways. And it, was, it would bring awe to all that saw him. And there's this moment where, where Peter and the disciples, they're out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And they're throwing the nets over and they're pulling them back, and they're just getting nothing at all. Not a bite, nothing. And as they're about to give up, they hear this person, this stranger, yell from the beach. And the stranger on the shore says, hey, this is what you've got to do. It works for me every time. You throw the net on the right side, and ta-da, you have lots of fish. And for some reason, the disciples are like, that's brilliant. Never thought of that. Let me try that. And so the disciples throw their net over the right side, and they pull it back. And it's heavy. And they realize it is absolutely full of fish. And of course, in a moment like that, when there's more fish than boat, chaos ensues. And they're trying to figure out what to do with all this fish. And in the moment of all the chaos, John, one of the apostles, he looks out. And he looks at the stranger and he realizes, that's no stranger. It's Jesus. It's the Lord. And he yells it out. And Peter looks over and he realizes it is Jesus. And so Peter, without thinking, grabs his coat, ties it around his waist, abandons his friends in the sinking ship of fish, jumps into the water, and swims to the shore. And when he gets there, Jesus is sitting around a campfire. And he says, I'll make you guys lunch. And so he makes some lunch, and I imagine they had great conversation. And they ate fish, I would assume. And then I imagine as they sat there for a while, the sun started to dip below the horizon. And the chill entered the air. And they kind of huddled up around the fire. And, and it's in this moment that Jesus and Peter have one of their most profound conversations. One of those campfire conversations. And, and it's here, this is what Jesus says. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these things? And, and of course, Peter in this moment responds, Jesus, you know that I love you. And then Jesus kind of cryptically responds, it doesn't seem to make sense to then feed my sheep. And I imagine Peter's really confused, like what in the world is Jesus saying in this moment? And there's a long silence, and then Jesus breaks the silence, and he says, Simon, do you love me? And now Peter, really confused, responds, maybe a little frustrated, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds again, then take care of my sheep. And again, I imagine there's a silence as Peter's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And yet again, Jesus breaks the silence. Peter, do you love me? And it's in this moment, all the pieces come together and Peter finally gets what Jesus is doing. And actually the gospel says that Peter, he feels hurt that Jesus kept repeating this. He suddenly realized what Jesus was doing. You see, Jesus asked, do you love me? Three times. And there's actually another three that Peter is involved in in the gospels as well. It's this moment where, where Jesus predicts that Peter would deny him three times. 
And of course, Peter in the moment's like, I would never do that to you, Jesus. I would never deny you. And then listen to this. This is from Luke 22. And then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And then about an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And so Jesus, he wanted to return to this moment around the campfire. The moment where Jesus, or where Peter denied Jesus three times. And he does so by asking another question three times. Peter, do you love me? And I think there's a lot to glean from this little interaction. And I'll give you three today. And the first is this. Jesus uses our failures to further our faith. Jesus uses our failures to further our faith. And in fact, Jesus uses Peter's failure to further his faith. You know, when Peter denied Jesus three times, he did so for a reason. Do you know what that reason was? Safety. He did it to be safe. Peter knew that if he was known as an associate of Jesus who had just been arrested, that he risked being arrested. And that whatever punishment Jesus was headed towards, he knew that he would be headed toward that punishment. And and so out of self-preservation, Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. You see, what Peter demonstrates in this moment is that when life gets difficult, the thing that we love most tends to emerge. Let me say that differently. When we come under great stress or risk, our true character is revealed. You know, there's a famous screenwriter. His name is Robert McKee. And he's written a lot of screenwrites uh, in, in history in Hollywood. And then he eventually went on to be a teacher and tried to teach people to tell good stories through film. And, and at one point, he's reflecting on a protagonist, so the good guy in the story. And this is what he says. He says, true character is revealed in the choices a human being makes under pressure. The greater the pressure, the deeper the revelation." the truer the choice to the character's essential nature. Essentially, what Robert McKee is saying is if one really wants to know what matters most to somebody else, watch them closely when they're under stress. Watch closely and you'll see what matters. See, what Peter demonstrated was that at the end of the day, self-preservation was more important than his devotion to Jesus. And so at the campfire, Jesus wanted Peter to see this. You know, Peter, at the end of the day, 
What is more important to you? Is it your devotion to yourself? Or is it your devotion to me? And you know, I think that's a great question for us. I wonder about us. You know, when push comes to shove, and life gets hard and stressful, it gets difficult, who do we choose? Do we choose Jesus, or do we choose ourselves? And actually, I, I think those moments happen to us all the time. You know, today is Sunday, right? And Saturday nights sometimes can be late and we can be tired on Sunday mornings, right? And then we wake up on Sunday morning and we say, do we really want to go to worship Jesus today? I am exhausted. No one's used that excuse before, right? I am exhausted. Can we skip church today? There's those moments where, where we know we're supposed to be spending time with God on some kind of regular basis, whether it's reading scripture and listening for God's voice or just simply prayer. But for some reason, we seem to be so busy that we can just never get there, right? You know, there's those opportunities we get, right? Maybe where it's to make a lot of money. We can do this thing and it's going to make us a lot of money, but we know we're going to kind of have to bend the rules to get there. And we know that there's no way that Jesus would do that. But it's a lot of money and we just, what do we do? In our daily lives, are our lives primarily about ourselves? Or, or can we honestly say that our devotion to Jesus comes first? You know, what, what Jesus demonstrates to Peter around the campfire is that he wants Peter to notice his failure. He wants him to be able to see the failure and look at it straight for what it is. And Jesus doesn't do this to shame him. Or he doesn't do it to us, to shame us or, or to reject us. But he does it so that we can realize here is our weakness. And realizing it gives us power to do something about our weakness. You know, when our loyalty to Jesus is tested, we see all the places we are not loyal to Jesus. It's how it works. And it gives us a chance to grow. And really this leads us to our next point. Peter's at the campfire talking to Jesus. And the thing we can take from that is Jesus repeatedly calls us to follow. Jesus repeatedly calls us to follow him over and over and over again. You know, what could have happened and perhaps should have is Peter's out there and he's denying Jesus and Jesus can hear the whole thing. He can see it. And wouldn't Jesus be smart to say, you know what, Peter, we're done. You're dead to me. We're, you can no longer follow me. This thing is over. It is over. But, but it's not what Jesus does. Jesus' last words to Peter in this passage, the passage we just read, are actually the same words as the first words he speaks to Peter. Isn't that interesting? And do you know what those words are? Follow me. Peter, follow me. Peter, follow me from the beginning and then follow me again at the end. You see, whether we are seasoned saints or, or we are just soul-searching skeptics, the question that Jesus asks us remains the same too. Are we willing to follow Jesus? You know, our lives should be marked 
by the amount of times we ask that question, where we listen for Jesus to ask the question, are, are you willing to follow me? And our lives should be marked by the times we say yes, over and over again. You know, uh, Jesus' ministry was done in what's called like a rabbinic way or a rabbinic method. And basically what it was is rabbis and they had their disciples or their followers. And, and to be a good disciple, the goal of the disciple in this strange relationship was to try to mimic the rabbi. You were supposed to copy every single thing the rabbi did, all of it, through and through. If the rabbi talked a certain way, you did that. If the rabbi walked a certain way, you walked that way as well. You know, if a rabbi and his disciples were walking up a hill and the rabbi were to have brushed against a bush, the disciples would have then walked behind him and brushed against that bush. It's what they would do. If they were walking through a field together and the rabbi grabs a grain and then he breaks it apart and then he eats it, you would have the disciples walk and they would pick the same area and do it in the exact same way and eat that grain too. It was all about mimicking their rabbi. In some sense, it was like, a living form of Simon Says, I think. And you have to wonder in, in these moments, I wonder if the rabbi was messing with the disciples ever, right? Like, I'm going to jump in that mud. What are you going to do? I don't know. I, I do wonder that. Um, but, but you see, the best disciples, the best disciples of rabbis were the ones that could mimic the, dis, or the rabbi as closely and as best as they possibly could, where it almost looked no different at all. And in a practical sense, this is what Jesus calls Peter to do. And in a practical sense, this is what Jesus calls us to do. We are to emulate everything Jesus thought and said and did. Copy all of it. You know, following Jesus literally means emulating Jesus doing exactly what Jesus did. And we don't just do this for no reason at all. We do it because we love him. You know, what Peter failed to do in denying Jesus three times was to emulate his rabbi. And, and what that demonstrated to the rabbi was Peter's love for him. Jesus saw how much Peter loved him by how well he followed him. And you see, it's those moments when we fail, and we fail bad, and we maybe do it often, and maybe for the first time we'll notice when we fail a way that we're not following our rabbi Jesus. It's when we fail that we learn to follow Jesus better. You know, the more we follow Jesus, the more we will learn to follow Jesus, and the more we will love Jesus. And you know, Jesus showed Peter, and I don't know if Peter knew this or not, that following him was dangerous business. And in fact, it might mean dying for following Jesus. And that's the last point. Following Jesus leads us to our own cross. You know, perhaps Peter didn't realize it yet, but Jesus was telling Peter that in his journey of loving Jesus, of following Jesus, of mimicking Jesus, he was going to have to die for it too. You know, church history ascribes that Peter would end up in Rome. And, and, and while he's in Rome, he would get crucified there, except upside down. He didn't want to look too close to Jesus. And he'd get crucified just like Jesus, his rabbi. It's in these moments 
that, that we come to realize just how much we love Jesus when we'll die for him. And, and, and Peter, Peter would go and die for him. He would die just like his rabbi. And, and, and in some sense, the invitation is for you and for me too. You know, for all of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, can we say that we're living a life in such a way that we might have to die for Jesus? That we might have to be hurt for Jesus? That we might have to lose for Jesus? You know, and and then for those of us who maybe are here this morning, we're just exploring faith and you're just not sure, can you begin the journey of following Jesus when it might mean dying like Jesus? You know, some of us are here this morning and we feel like our lives are just lacking a certain amount of meaning. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. We feel like maybe our life is kind of spinning its wheels and we're just kind of staying in the same spot. We feel like maybe nothing that we're doing in our lives really matters. There's no adventure. Maybe there's no risk. There's no real life. Maybe you feel like you're just stuck at your job doing the same thing over and over and you're stuck in your house payment and you're just stuck in the mundanity of life. Life is just kind of blah. It doesn't mean anything. And you wonder, you know, if I was to die today, would would it matter? Would I have changed anything? Would I have made the world a better place at all in my life? Perhaps you've had that feeling. You know, there's a Christian author, his name is Donald Miller. And at one point he wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. And, and Blue Like Jazz blew up on the best-selling list. It was on the New York Times. It was the whole deal. He sold a lot of books and Donald Miller made a lot of money on all of those books. It was really everything he wanted out of life, right? He wanted to be a successful author. He wanted to have that book that everyone had read, right? Like it's a classic. And he had done it. He wrote the book. He finished what he wanted to do. And later on, he recounts as he's sitting in his brand new house. He had just had his kitchen remodeled and he put a hundred grand into it and he's staring at his kitchen and he just felt so empty from doing that. He felt like his whole life just felt meaningless. It it felt void. It felt like what he was doing really just didn't matter. And, And at one point, he's out and he's chatting with a friend And he's kind of complaining to his friend about the state of his life and how he feels like it's all meaningless and he just really isn't sure what to do next. And and what his friend says, I don't recommend us ever saying this to other people. That's a disclaimer. This is what his friend says. He says, Don, maybe life isn't meaningless. You know, life is just fine. Maybe your life is meaningless. Maybe your life is meaningless, Don. And I'm assuming that was really hard to hear because I would struggle with that one. But I wonder, I, I wonder if there's some truth to it though. Life's not meaningless. Life has purpose. It does. It's filled with purpose. And the most meaningful lives are the ones that are willing to give up everything, to sacrifice anything to pursue something greater than themselves. It's a meaningful life. And friends, following Jesus is that something greater. You want to live a meaningful life? Then follow Jesus. But life is not meaningless. Perhaps maybe my life's meaningless. Perhaps I'm not following Jesus. And the meaning that I'm looking for, it's just not there because I'm not doing it. You know, perhaps for you this morning, 
following Jesus is the meaning that you need for your life. Perhaps it is. You know, perhaps this morning, and you're here, and maybe you've never even given this whole following Jesus thing a shot. Or, or, or perhaps you're here, and you have, and you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're looking at your life, and you feel like you've really never gone after it. You've never really given it all for Jesus. What would it look like to start following Jesus in a new way? For the first time, for that next step, whatever it may be. In a moment, we're going to pray. And you know, the, the first week of this series, we prayed, and then there was a silence for you to pray. And we're going to do that again. In a moment, we're going to pray. And in that silence, I'm going to encourage you to pray. You know, Jesus asked us the question already, are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to follow me in anything? To just go for it, to follow me? Perhaps in that silence, you're feeling called to give an answer. For the first time, for that next step. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for the lives of the disciples. That in anything they do, it seems that they're doing exactly what we do. Their lives, in many ways, are ours. And God, as, as we think about following you, God, we know that you've already asked the question, are we willing to follow you? And God, in this silence, we pray that we give an answer. God, in all of our ordinariness, when we encounter you, we, we see the extraordinary happen right in our lives. And God, we thank you for Jesus, who has done the extraordinary for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.